It's a big week. It's an enormous week. The Big Apple is on the docket, so let's get into it. Star of the show, Adam Beasley. Let's get into the Dolphins In-Depth podcast brought to you by Simply Healthcare. You're a very healthy person, Adam Beasley. What do you think of the Miami Dolphins' chances of defeating the <laughs> the winless New York Jets? So uh, I remember, uh, this was when I was just a wee lad at the Miami Herald, and I remembered, uh, this was I think maybe two or three years after I stopped uh, working for the Baltimore Ravens, I was their uh, web reporter for from 2002 through 2005. And shortly thereafter, um, the uh, Dolphins were winless, I believe, and the Baltimore Ravens, who had playoff hopes, came to town, and the uh, the Dolphins ended that awful losing streak, and the Ravens coach got fired because of it. Now, I'm not saying there's any scenario in which Brian Flores gets fired if he loses to the winless New York Jets this weekend, but it would have the same season-wrecking impact uh, that that did for uh, the Ravens that year. They, they missed the playoffs, and they had wholesale changes that offseason. Uh, you cannot lose to an 0-10 team if you think of yourself as a somewhat competent club, let alone a team that has playoff aspirations. Uh, this is, I'm sorry, this is a must-win, Armando. Hit the siren, hit the alarm. This is a must-win. Woo, 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 woo. That, that's Armando doing an alarm. How do you, how, <laughs> what do you think of that? Is I that like good? It. I like yeah. it. So, you know that last year, these two teams were in not exactly um, opposite ends of the spectrum, but it was the Dolphins who were winless when they played the Jets, and it was the Jets who lost to the winless team. Um, I just, you know, I'm not comfortable with this game, Adam. I'm just not comfortable with this game. I can't. You mean because there are starting offensive lineman is out with COVID <laughs> and their other starting offensive lineman's got a busted foot. And the fact that those, even with those two linemen on the offensive line on Sunday, they were just an abomination. Is that part of the reason for your concern? That's, uh, that's, uh, that's yeah, that, that, that's part <laughs> of it. Yeah. Jesse Davis will not start at right tackle because he indeed does have COVID-19 and he tested positive for it anyway. I don't know if he's got it or not. You never know anymore. Right. And, and Solomon Kinley has an owie on his foot, and that's not great. And everything else is up in the air. We don't know if Miles Gaskin will be back or not. We don't know if Tua Tungavailoa, good Tua, will be back or not. Or it will still be bad Tua uh, that we saw last week. And we don't know if it's going to be good defense or not so good defense back this week. It's it's just a lot of questions that I have. You've got questions. Uh, the only storyline I'm looking for this week is this the uh, Michael Dieter redemption tour. Does it begin this Sunday? Because he is going to play at what position, you think? Presumably uh, be right guard, right? I mean, <laughs> if, yeah, if, if, if Kimley cannot make a uh, – I mean, he was bad. He was, he was bad this past week. He couldn't move. Uh, his foot injury has been bothering him for a while. Um, his, his, his availability is definitely in doubt for this week. Uh, it could be uh, it could be Dieter time, man. The, the moment we've all been waiting for. So let's let's talk a little bit real quick, Adam, about what we have in the rear view because that was not a pretty sight. Uh, 
Um, what were your thoughts on Brian Flores benching to a Tonga by law? Oh, uh, part of me loves the fact that he's never going to give up on a game and that, uh, you know, growing pains and moral victories and all that stuff are for another time and another coach. Part of me really likes the fact that, you know, he's always going to try to go for the win no matter, you know, what the long-term consequences are. But the other part of me says, what about the long-term consequences? I mean, he has gotten, uh, I know Barry Jackson, our colleague, uh, documented it pretty well today. He has gotten uh, unprecedented level of criticism uh, this week, even more so, I think, than the all-out blitz against the Steelers in 2019 that led to a touchdown and the Dolphins losing, and many people thinking that they were tanking, putting the team at risk and all that. I think this is different because there, you know, there's 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 really something at stake now, and what's at stake is obviously the 2020 season and the playoff hopes they have, but also the development, both physically, mentally, and emotionally, of their franchise quarterback. And if you if you think Tua is a top five pick, which they obviously do because they use the top five pick on him, then you believe he can get you out of those jams that he can rise to the moment. Fourth quarter quarterbacks or where fourth quarters are where quarterbacks make their money, and and you let him have that opportunity down two scores to see what he can do. Uh, Flo doesn't play that apparently, and he had seen enough through six pretty bad drives, seven, well maybe even more, seven or eight pretty bad drives by the Dolphins, um, and he pulled the ripcord. Uh, I, I think again, I'm never going to fault a coach for trying to win, but I'm going to fault the coach for trying to win. So let me uh, address the well-documented um, rippage of Coach Flo for, for benching Tua. I have no problem with him benching Tua last Sunday. Tua was bad, mm-hmm. and it was, it was obvious, and I think he was in some regards overmatched, not because he couldn't physically fight it, but because mentally – he, he didn't know what he was seeing, and that was obvious to anyone with eyes. He didn't, he didn't see what he needed to see, and it was just weird. So Who, I have, whose, whose fault is that, by the way? Well, obviously, ultimately, it's on the player, but, you know, the coach has got to coach him up better, mm-hmm. uh, I think. And also, oh, by the way, it would be nice if someone got – obviously open instead of apparently open. Which has been another talking point this week, hasn't it? Indeed, indeed. But here's where I depart from win now, Coach Flo. You did that in one game, and I applaud you, because now Tua Tungavailoa understands, uh, young man, you're the number one overall pick. For the Miami Dolphins, you were the number, you were the number five pick in the entire draft. But you are not entitled to play. You have to earn that playing time. You have to be good enough to be on that field. And if you're not, you might not be. So message sent. But if this becomes a pattern, if this becomes any time Tua struggles, uh, are you killing mosquitoes? By the way. Oh. I was cracking my knuckles. 
Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I, was getting, I, I was getting nice and limber for my response. I was, you know, okay, see the visual of me cracking my knuckles, rubbing uh, my hands together, getting ready. You're making me nervous now. I'm a little <laughs> intimidated. Um, so if he is going to do this over and over again or even a couple of more times uh, throughout seasons, that's a little off. In fact, it's more than a little off. Because now you will have a young player looking over his shoulder. Now you will have a young player uh, playing with the the sword of Florence hanging over him. And that's, that's not the way you want Tua Tungavailoa to play. You want him to have confidence. Well, then build up his confidence. And the other thing, the one other thing, if you want him to be able to overcome tough situations – he has to work and play through tough situations. You don't just learn to do that by simply sitting on the bench and watching somebody else do it. It's, a, it's, it's an all-in, it's a, it's a participation exercise. It's not a, a, a you know, you're not going to be watching this and saying, oh, that's how you do it, let me go do that. No, you got to actually do it. How, how much – I agree with everything you said. How, how much do you think uh, that uh, them looking out for Tua's health played a role in that? Because six sacks and three, three and, you know, a fifth quarters or whatever it was. And, uh, and the last one was kind of gnarly, man. I mean, his, 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 his leg kind of folded up underneath the defender that sacked him. And all of a sudden you had these visions of, of, of a quarterback that couldn't stay healthy. It was the first time in his NFL career that he, he faced an onslaught like that. And he didn't react to it well cognitively. He didn't, you know, he couldn't get out of the plays they needed to get out of. And, he, you know, he couldn't get to the hots they needed to get to on time. But uh, that all can be fixed, I think. Him, him, him doing irreparable damage to his body because uh, 300-pound defensive linemen have free shots at him. Uh, do you think that played a role in, 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 the, in, the, in the move? Well, if it played a role – then you got major problems because guess what? The offensive line that you're going to put on the field this week is not going to be as good as the one you put on the field last week. It's going to be lessened. And, uh, and, and, and who's the defensive coordinator who likes coming for blood that they're going to face this week? Yeah, exactly. So the, the New York Jets uh, bounty guy. So. <laughs> Greg Williams, yes, correct. He's, he did serve a lengthy suspension for trying to hurt players, correct. Exactly. So, and, and it's not just going to be Greg Williams, by the way. The, the, the template for beating the Miami Dolphins offense has now been written, and it's for, up there for everyone to see. Vic Fangio authored it, and now he's disseminated it's being disseminated throughout the NFL. Now it's up to Chan Gailey and Tua Tungavailoa and all the other elves to put <laughs> together some sort of, uh, of a gift offense that answers the problems that Vic Fangio presented to them. I'm, I'm glad you brought up Chan Gailey because I wanted to get into him at length. But we have to pause briefly for some advertisements. And we are back, Armando, and it's time to uh, let's, 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 let's put uh, Shane Gailey through the ringer for a second because uh, I know I looked at him cross-eyed a little bit on Sunday, Sunday and so did his players. There was uh, – I've, I've spoken to multiple who told me that 
you know, we were kind of confused as to why once it became very clear that Denver knew how to attack our tendencies and knew how to beat the hell out of our offensive line that wasn't doing too well, why he didn't change up earlier. And I think that's a fair criticism. He didn't open up the offense until Tua was pulled. And so I don't know if it's the fact they don't trust Tua to, to run the same plays as Ryan Fitzpatrick or it took uh, Chan that long to figure out what was going wrong. But either way, there was a major problem on Sunday. So how do I say this without offending anyone? <laughs> uh, so you know that Ryan Fitzpatrick is smarter than Tua, right? We, we agree. Uh, He's yeah. smarter than most people. I mean, I mean, but he's I mean, smarter than Tua. God right? bless uh, the uh, Alabama, you know, scholastic aptitude, but it's not Harvard. Okay. Okay. All right. So, and you know that he's older than Tua, right? We know this. Yeah. We have we have date of birth, and Correct. we know that he's more experienced than Tua by about fifteen seasons. All of those things, um, when Ryan is in the game benefit Chan Gailey. All of those things when Tua is in the game detract from Chan Gailey because now he is limited in some things that he can do with Tua that he would otherwise be able to do with Ryan Fitzpatrick. But, uh, that, but I, no, That's but the he, long and short of it. But here's the thing. I, I, I understand that, and to a degree I agree with it, but I don't agree with it in, in, in this regard. Tua Tagovailoa, Trent Dilfer was talking about him being one of the best, purest, most purest pocket passers he's ever seen uh, in the lead-up to the draft. He was his personal quarterback coach, and he said he had Marino-like ability with his arm. Ryan Fitzpatrick ain't got that. He's got a lot of positives. That is not one of them. So, yes, there are, there are ways in which Ryan Fitzpatrick makes Chan Gailey's life easier, but vice versa. There are plays you can call with Tua that you cannot call with Ryan Fitzpatrick, and I'm not seeing that come to fruition. Right, except that there's a huge difference between Tua Tungavailoa standing uh, in front of Trent Dilfer on air with no rushers, uh, you know, doing what he does in a in an otherwise empty practice field during an on-air session against no defensive backs, doing that and having the Denver Broncos you know, Vic Fangio defense come at you in waves, and oh, by the way, their secondary is pretty accomplished. They're good. They're, that's not a terrible defense. But that's a, that's a good defense. But that's not the first time in his life Tua has seen blitzes. And it's not the first time in his life he's seen stunts. And certainly isn't the first time even as an NFL player he's seen those things. Um, yes, the player has to play better. Full stop. Number one, Tua did not play well on Sunday. But number two, I don't think the coaching staff did him any favors. Well, I mean, yeah, that's okay. But what would you have done? What should Chan have done? I'm, I'm just curious. Well, maybe spread them out a little bit so you're not getting your teeth kicked into the offensive line and seeing that you've gotten completely overwhelmed. That was a criticism I heard was that they were very late in going – to more of a spread open offense against a Broncos defense that was absolutely owning the line of scrimmage. Like they, yeah, they don't have a great talent on the outside, but they have good enough talent to occasionally beat one-on-one matchups, right? I mean, that's what they should be able to do. And, and we didn't see the blitz busting plays that every team has in their playbook. I, um, 
look, I, I think that once we see how they handle this this dilemma, once we see how they handle this mini crisis, then we'll be more able to tell. It's been four games. Mm-hmm. Tua, Tua Tunga Baloa has played four games, and we're expecting him to to be. You know, sorry, Trent Dilfer, you're not comparing <laughs> you're not comparing Tua to Dan Marino or anyone else in the grand history of the NFL because Tua has played four games. Four. Well, well this this gets back to our, my broader issue is that yes, I totally understand that he is going to learn and he's going to take his lumps and he's going to develop and he'll be a better quarterback December 24th than he is on November 24th. All that's gravy. I agree with all that. What I don't agree with is sacrificing 2020 season to see what this guy has. And uh, I wrote at length yesterday, and Dolphins fans hated to hear it, but it's the absolute truth. Right now, the Dolphins offense performs at a much higher level with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Even granted that Fitzpatrick turns the ball over way more than Tua does, and he struggles more than Tua does in the red zone. Even accounting for all that, the Dolphins offense is objectively much better when Ryan Fitzpatrick operates it. Now, am I saying that they should bench Tua and go back to Fitz? No, I'm not. I'm just saying this, is that it's a trade-off the coaching staff has to be happy, it has to be honest with, with their players, with themselves, and with us, that they are, they are sacrificing a little bit of the present for the future. There, I don't, you know, everything you said was correct until the end. And where they're sacrificing the present for the future, what is their record under Tua Tungavailoa? Oh, come on. You know there's more. What, what is their you, record? You know there's more. Yes, and I guarantee you if Ryan Fitzpatrick. I guarantee you if Ryan Fitzpatrick had uh, a punt return for a touchdown, a block punt for a touchdown, a pick for a touchdown, a fumble for a touchdown, two drives starting at the one yard line, another drive starting at the 22 over the last four games, he would be 3 and 1 as well. And I would be a bicycle if I had two wheels, but I'm not. <laughs> and he didn't. He, Tua, Tua, Tua won one of those four games. The other two wins were on the defense and special teams. He was on the team. He was the starting quarterback, and his record is 3-1. and one. And so the idea that they are sacrificing the season for playing him is just patently Something I can't agree with. Well, how, he, how do you make that argument? He's gotten very fortunate about the surroundings around him that have been, had nothing to do with him. Fair, he's, and he's still three and one. Okay, and I and and, and Ryan Fitzpatrick would be three and one if he had that same exact situation. No, I'll get. How, how about if I give you that, and you're still not able to make the argument that they are sacrificing the present for the future because three and one. <laughs> we'll, we'll see going forward when he's not given all these short fields and splash plays on special teams to give him the ball at the five-yard line, if he's able to do it. He can't sustain drives, Armando. I mean, that's the thing. As you go back and look at the drives with Tua on the field, he has more three and outs than drives with first downs, I think. I mean, they cannot sustain an offense, and they've got no weapons for big plays. They're 29th in the NFL in big plays. They, they, average, they average an explosive play on offense once every 13 snaps. That is terrible in the NFL. That is, you cannot, unless you have a quarterback with the polished pedigree and accuracy of Tom Brady, you cannot sustain re- repeated scoring drives by playing in five-yard boxes. You just can't. That's, so 
so that's 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 the problem they're running into. They they can't get first downs, let alone touchdowns with Tua, unless they get the ball at the twenty yard line. I just don't see that it's all his fault, though. I mean, I, I look at that backfield and I see guys. I don't see accomplished running backs. I don't see anybody that that scares anyone. And I wrote as much today. I look at the wide receiver core and I see a diminished wide receiver core. They had two guys that would otherwise be um, helping and and contributing who opted out. They lost a starter in Preston Williams. They they're not they're not there. They're not there on the playmaker front. And I don't think you can put that all on Tua. I agree. I one thousand percent agree. I hope they use whatever cap space they have and whatever premium draft picks they have to get him weapons because he desperately needs them. And that is 100% uh, a, a shortcoming of this front office this offseason. I don't think they accounted for Albert Wilson and Alan Hearns, uh, you know, going on the COVID list and, and sitting out the season. But regardless, those if, if, if your offense is made, made or broken by Alan Hearns and Albert Wilson, you didn't do a good enough job in the offseason. I'm sorry. Those are fine players. They're not difference makers. But all that being said, Armando, that's all 1,000% true. But Fitz has those same game dynamics, and they move the ball better, and they score more points when Fitz is on the game. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Am I wrong? Right. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. But <laughs> I think – but given that – I'm fine with Tua being the starting quarterback. Oh, me too. No, I, 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 you're, you're not going to win a Super Bowl in 2021 or 22 with Ryan Fitzpatrick. You probably aren't going to with Tua either, but maybe you will. And the only way you get there is to let him play, right? Correct. And and so there is that. Uh, before we get out of here, I want to talk about um, – we've talked about the future. You've already – said that Tua is winning a Super Bowl next year. You said said that. I heard it. You said it. Uh, And the following year. So you're saying Tua is winning back-to-back Super Bowls in 21 and 22. I heard that. Oh, yeah. Take it to the bank. Yes. Uh, But uh, let's talk about history real quick because today the Pro Football Hall of Fame announced its 25 finalists for the class of 2021. And one guy who's in it is Zach Thomas. And once again, really proud of the fact that Zach Thomas is in it. One guy who's not in it is Richmond Webb, and it's really annoying me that Richmond Webb is not in it. Um, I, I just don't know how to make the make people understand Richmond Webb was 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 is worthy of the conversation. I'm not saying he's absolutely 100% a Pro Football Hall of Famer the next time he's in the room or the first time he's in the room, but He's worthy of the conversation. Right. You you helped JT get in. I mean, it was 99% JT, 1% Armando. But you helped JT get in two years ago, correct, by delivering a pretty impressive uh, presentation to the, to, to the Hall of Fame committee. How does it work to get someone on that 25? Do you present do – you, do you nominate guys and then it's voted on? How do you get on that first list? I talk to guys. I talk to the voters. And I try to, you know – make them to understand that I really want Richmond Webb on that, uh, on that list. And, uh, 
and I will, you know, supply them with various incendiary gifts and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and fruits and vegetables and candies and women and song if they put, you know, Richmond on that list. And yet nobody puts them on the list or not enough folks put them on the list. Well, why don't you make your case pretty quickly then for why he should be on that list? He's a seven-time Pro Bowler. When he was drafted, the purpose of that draft pick was to stop Bruce um, – what's his name? Bruce uh, Smith. Smith. Forgot the name Smith. <laughs> if only it had been Rodriguez, I would have remembered. Uh, Bruce Smith. And guess what? He did it twice a year for seven years. He did it. He and Bruce Smith had epic battles, and most of the time, Richmond Webb won. And so, if that is not worth, and oh, by the way, Bruce Smith is in the Hall of Fame. And so, if that alone is not worthy of Hall of Fame consideration, I I don't know what is. <laughs> I mean, I'm a guy that's that's accomplished and done stuff and went to, you know, seven Pro Bowls. And, oh, by the way, I shut down a Hall of Fame player, but I don't deserve a Hall of Fame conversation and consideration? Really? Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a huge difference between saying this guy definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame and, hey, is he not one of the 25, 30 best players of this year's class to, to deserve consideration? I am sure you can go through the list, and I haven't seen the list yet, but I'm sure you can go through it and see much weaker candidates than that. I agree. And, look, all of these players were great in their time and what they did. And some of these players, they're, you know, look, Peyton Manning is is, is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer this year. That goes without question. Can we agree? Yeah, Peyton, I, think that, I think that's pretty safe to say. Yeah, I think Peyton Manning probably deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, personally speaking, I think Megatron is a first-time Hall of Famer. I think that he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. But I think other guys deserve the conversation. And obviously, Zach Thomas will, you know, get that conversation, uh, I hope. And I'm thinking that Richmond Webb, in future years, he deserves that conversation. So, by the way, another one, Charles Woodson, I think he is – you know, hands down, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Well, that seems like it's going to be quite the class then. If if those three are on for the you know, for first ballot, I, I would say those are three pretty good names you're going to see. Now, now does it work like uh, if if Webb cycles out and he's been up for it too many times that uh, the old the old folks can vote him in in ten, fifteen years, something like that? Oh, young Beasley. Is that how it works? <laughs> the old folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the old folks. Um, we call it the veteran class. We yeah. <laughs> the, old, the old folks class. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> I, I'm going to get up in the middle of the meeting, the next meeting we have, and I'll say, hey, when can Richmond be concerned by the old folks? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's that's the thing. That's the dynamic. Uh, yes. I, the, 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 the players that get on their first, second, third ballots, I know all those players. When it's time for the old folks, I don't know those guys. <laughs> when, when does he go into the depends mode? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's exactly how it works, as a matter of fact. And 
uh, it's after 25 years okay. of eligibility. So uh, he's not there yet, but you know, it's it's coming up. And it's not that far down the road. It's not that far down the road. So I, I just wanted to say, you know, give him props because I think he deserves the conversation. I think he is definitely, you know, what Pro Football Hall of Famer embodies. And I just wish that he would get the chance to to have the debate uh, about him. Meanwhile, Zach Thomas – one last thing before we get out. Someone mm-hmm. asked me, why is it or what is it that Dolphins fans see in Zach Thomas that Pro Football Hall of Fame voters do not? And I'm going to be very blunt here, and you tell me if I'm wrong. Pro Football Hall of Fame voters expect Pro Football Hall of Famers, for the most part, unless they are just crazy, crazy good, like Dan Marino was, um, to have championship moments in championship games, to make game-defining moments in on the highest and biggest stages. And unfortunately, Dolphin fans, Zach Thomas didn't have that opportunity. He didn't get to an AFC championship game. He didn't get to a Super Bowl. That's just a fact. And we love him because we're down here and we're familiar with him. But he didn't he didn't make it to the highest and the biggest stage because his team didn't make it there. Not because he wasn't worthy, but the team didn't get there. And that's just a fact. I, I think that's 100% right. I also think subconsciously seeing a five six dude running around making tackles makes you think, eh, is this real? I mean, is this and, – and, and it's not fair to Zach, but I, I do think his size has worked against him because he has been like Mighty Mouse, the little engine could, all that, uh, but he doesn't look like Brian Arlacher. A five six dude? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, it was basically Jakeem, Jakeem Grant out there, the middle linebacker, right? Wow. <laughs> Wow. Uh, okay, you know Zach was five eleven, but that's okay. That's, wow. <laughs> you know, I was using I was using a, I know. a dramatic flourish. I, I know, and and I'm I'm floored by it. It, it was <laughs> the drama really did work. Um, so final thought, Beasley: win or loss against the New York Jets on uh, on Sunday for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, win because the Jets are very limited both on offense and defense, and the Dolphins usually don't follow up one truly stinky of a game with another one. I think, I I, I, I think they win pretty comfortably on Sunday, and I think the uh, the offense is a nice bounce back game. Very good. Um, so that's it for this week on the Dolphins in Depth podcast, brought to you by Simply Healthcare. We appreciate you joining us. We ask you to. Tune in again next week when star of the show Adam Beasley explains how great Tua Tungavailoa played against the New York Jets. 